Hello and welcome back to our daily devotion podcast. Today we want to talk about several issues relating to sex. Divorce, marriage, premarital sex. Let's look at this passage. It begins about divorce actually, but we'll see later how it extends to other issues as well. Let's then turn to Matthew chapter 19 verse 3 to 12. Matthew 19 verse 3 to 12. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you help us to understand your ways and your deep love for us and the hope that you give to us in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. We ask then, Lord, that you will speak deeply into us, that not only will we understand with our minds, but you will empower us to know you in our hearts as well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 19, verse 3 to 12. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it is not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. By now, I think many of us would have realized that God gave commandments for our sake. Just as he said the Sabbath was made for man and not, and not man for the Sabbath. And yet we often think that God is only interested in whether we keep his commandments, whether we obey his laws, whether we can find loopholes to his law. We try to be amateur lawyers and we find loopholes in his law and we say, well, maybe this one can because the Bible doesn't say, or that one cannot because by extension the law says this or that. And we scramble to understand the ways of God or to get around the ways of God. But by now you might have understood that God's concern is not whether you break the law or you keep the law, but what it does for you, what living does for you. That when you break the law, it is not about breaking a law, it is doing things that will hurt you. And when you keep the law, it's not just being obedient, but it's living a rich and abundant life. And so when the Pharisees tested Jesus, and notice that the Pharisees often test Jesus based on the legalities on whether he keeps the law or not. He talks about cleaning vessels, washing hands, taking, uh, resting on the Sabbath. 
And each of these are legalistic. And they are trying to test, they wanted to test whether he kept the law. And this one included. They were hoping that he, he would be caught in a contradiction where Moses gave a certificate of divorce, allowed a husband or wife to give a certificate of divorce. And yet, the two have become one. And they were hoping then that Jesus would get enmeshed in this and trapped in his own answers. But Jesus is, and I repeat, Jesus is not interested in keeping the law for the sake of keeping the law. God gave us laws that they might keep us from harm and from danger and allow us to live abundantly. And we miss this great truth to our great peril when we look for loopholes or we try to get around it without realising that we could well get around laws. But if we, if we disobey, we might get ourselves into trouble. And so let's look at, look at what Jesus replied. Instead of telling the Pharisees whether it was lawful or not, Jesus began at the beginning. He says, when they were made male and female, and for this reason, they will be, they will leave the father. The man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. One may ask, one in what? One in body, one in soul, one in spirit, one in emotions. Well, when the two become one flesh, they become one in everything. And one of the evidences of that is when there is procreation and when a child is born. When a child is created, it contains the DNA of the man and the DNA of the woman. And it comes out as one person. So the two joining together produces one child. That's what it means by become, the two becoming one. Well, when does that start? Does it start at marriage? Does it start at the vows? When do the two become one? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul was scolding the Corinthians about sexual immorality. But in so doing, he, he gives an understanding of when a person, two persons become one. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. It is said the two will become one flesh. But not only that. In verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. And so, first of all, it's the physical. It's not a marriage. This man did not marry a prostitute. He was immoral towards with the prostitute. And yet, that intercourse made them one. But that one was not just physical, was not just in body, was also in spirit. Because he says that, do I then take the members of Christ? We are united with Christ, not in body, but in spirit. Do I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And so becoming one, the union, is both physical at the point of sexual intercourse. It is also spiritual at that point. And I believe too it will be because it is spiritual, it will also be emotional. Now that puts a great premium on sex. And I will talk about it in relation to premarital sex, to divorce, 
to adultery. But the one action is the sexual intercourse. One then must realize that we become, two persons become one, not when they exchange marriage vows. So whether or not you are married in a Christian wedding or a Buddhist wedding or Muslim wedding or a non-religious wedding, the coming together makes you one. It is the act that God has put together. So when we say that when God has joined together, in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 19, so whatever God has joined together, let no one put asunder, let no one put separate. It doesn't simply mean when God joins you by a Christian wedding. It simply means that part of nature is that when two persons are joined in union by sex, they become one and they should not be separated. There are, of course, exceptions, which I may touch on later on, and, uh, as Paul talks about it and gives exceptions. But basically, that is the rule. Now then, if we think about sex in such a way, sex becomes a very important thing indeed. It joins two persons together. So I want to address premarital sex to those who are not married. Sometimes we treat it very lightly, just try and see whether it is nice with this person or see whether it's nice with that person. Let's sleep together and try for a while with one and then we try for a while with another and see what works. Now that's a very disastrous thing, not just in the eyes of God, but it's a very disastrous thing for you physically, for you emotionally, and most of all for you spiritually. It does something to you because when you sleep with another person, the two of you become one. With or without the weddings, with or without registering, you have already become one. Now that's how serious it is. Now when we think about it this way then, we don't have to, uh, for Christians, we don't have to start looking up whether, um, whether premarital sex is sin and then we start looking up passages. and We don't have to because God is not interested in having the law thrown at you. What he's concerned about is what happens to you. And what he says is that when you have sex with another person, you become one with that person. Now then, how damaging is it to have various sexual partners? You mess up your life big time. You mess up the life of the other person big time. So you say, maybe... We are about to get married already. So quite certain we are already dating, we are serious about each other, and maybe as a sign of our seriousness, we should go to bed together. Now the danger of that is, what if you break up? You have by now become one, and you it's as bad as getting a divorce. If you break up with or without the certificate, with, with or without the papers, you are already one. Now when you break up, it's as bad as a divorce. Because spiritually you have already become one. And the damage in a breakup after you have had sex with another person is great. And so I'll say, stay chaste, stay away, abstain from sex until you have come together and you say, I'm ready for that commitment. I'm ready now to really for us both to become one. And I come before God and ask Him to make us united as one.
if of course you have already had several sleeping partners, if already you have broken up with one partner and now you're with another, I'll say that God is redemptive and God is gracious. He does not hold the law against you like that, but he looks at the mess in your life, the mess that's inside your emotions and your spirit. He wants to heal you. But it's so much wiser if we don't get into such a mess and we abstain from sex until you are married. Until you have come before God at the altar and you have made that commitment that because we are going to be one, I'm going to be faithful to you to death separates us. Now then, let me talk to couples who are married. As I said earlier, it doesn't matter whether yours is a Christian wedding or a Hindu wedding or a Muslim wedding or whatever religion it is, or no religion at all. When you have come together, you are one. And what this oneness is, is that it is created by God. It is brought together, joined together by God. And the reality is that God wants to help you in that oneness. One of the things I've learned about God is that He's not destructive. He always wants to help us. And so when you are in a marriage that is struggling, that is full of conflict, that is not in the best of shapes, I want you first to learn to pray. To pray for God to heal that marriage. Maybe you could confide in a close friend and ask that friend to pray along with you. Yesterday we talked about the prayer of two persons or three persons. A prayer of two persons in the midst of them. God will hear your prayers. And Jesus says where two or three persons are gathered in my name, there I am with you and I will answer your prayers. And so I'll urge you, if you your marriage is in deep trouble, confide in a friend, husband, confide with another man, with two other men, wives, confide in your girlfriends and pray earnestly. I have many, many stories that I wish I had time to tell you about couples, about couples where one party is straight so far and is arrogantly flaunting his unfaithfulness to the wife. And the wife decided to hold back, just pray with her friends and the miracles that take place. You see, God is very committed to making your union work because it was He who made such a natural reality that two persons will become one. And He wants then, the last thing He wants is for that one, that union to be broken, to be cut apart. Now, of course, there are exceptions where there's cruelty, where there is abandonment, where there is adultery, where your lives are endangered, then God allows it. But first of all, know that God wants your union to succeed. And if you can find it in your heart somewhere that you would still want that marriage to succeed, find a counsellor. Marriage counsellors can help you but they can only help you to some extent. At the end, find friends to just pray with you. 
Of course, there are times when you just want to let go, right? You want to ventilate and scream about the unfaithful husband or unfaithful wife of yours. But beyond that, come together with a few friends and pray for God to restore your marriages. He hears those prayers. And so now we understand that the two have become one. What does that do in an adulterous relationship? When you commit adultery, you add one more person into that union. It becomes a very broken union. You cannot imagine the hurt and the damage. You may say, well, my husband will never find out. My wife doesn't know. It is not about whether you are found out or not. It is what you have done. You could do everything in secret, and yet you have damaged that union physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is no such thing as I'll fool my wife by not telling her. It doesn't work. You have damaged that relationship very badly. And so I urge all of you who are married, stay clear of adultery, of any temptation to commit adultery. The damage is very serious. Where two have become one, putting a third party into it destroys, hurts, damages that relationship. To the extent where divorce is allowed. And so Jesus said, well, at the beginning was meant, not meant, to be that way. In verse 8, Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. And this says something about God again, the grace of God. God knows the messes we are in. That's no excuse for us to sin. But God does know things that we go through. And so God gave a concession. Well, if you really can't take it, then have a divorce. Be free from her. That doesn't mean that there are no there are no consequences to it. God can say, well, lawfully I let you go. And sometimes we hear that as great news. Yay, God has allowed me to divorce. Happy day. I'm not sinning anymore. I can divorce and have a new wife. But please, God is saying, it is not about obeying my law that's a problem. It is knowing the consequences of breaking something that has been formed already. God can give you all the excuses, all the forgiveness, all the license to do it. And yet, when you do it, you know the consequence of breaking a union. And so, yes, there are times when we want and we need a divorce. But let's do that slowly talk to a counsellor, talk to pastors, because it will have effects on you. It's not about breaking the law. It's about the effects the divorce will have on you, how it cuts you. It's like cutting off half of your body. Body, spirit, emotions. It is that painful. And you will go through a very difficult, difficult time. Sometimes you hold off that dream, hold on to that dream, you know, when life will be heaven when I'm rid of my husband. Life will be so great when I get rid of that wife of mine. And we imagine that it will be heaven when that happens. Let me assure you that it doesn't happen that way. That's when a union is broken, when one person 
the two that have become one is now broken. The pain is unimaginable. If it is possible for you to pray for restoration, that will be so much better. But then, yeah, so you have a divorce. So you meet someone else, you get married, remarried. Once again, it's not about breaking the law. It is about God having restoration, God redeeming whatever is left of a mess. God knows that we are sinful people. God knows the mess that we create for ourselves. I know of marriages that are so messed up that couples have suffered so badly, and then the divorce, and then they meet someone else, and there is hope for them. And I'd say God has mercy and God does redeem. God gives you hope. But if you are still married, don't look for that yet, because it may never happen. And so if you are remarried, stay in that marriage. Do not leave that marriage. Stay on. One was already broken. Now it's a second try. Keep to it and know that you are still united with your, in your second marriage. And God will bless your marriage. So this is the whole understanding. So if you were to ask me, is it lawful to divorce and remarry? I say... Well, originally, the design was that you were made for one. A divorce breaks that union. Marrying again messes things up a bit more. God is redemptive. God is merciful. God will continue to bless your marriage because He loves you. But if you are able to stay on in this marriage not because of social pressure not because you think that the pastor will frown on you if you had a divorce none of these but if there is strength within you to say I want to have hope I want to pray for God to save my marriage then I urge you do so share a time of prayer with several other close friends to pray fervently for you because God loves nothing more than a restored union. And so, I don't know whether the disciples are being cynical. They say, wow, it's so hard. Better not to get married. I guess they knew how hard it is when we talk about the permanence of marriage. No chance, no shouldn't divorce. And for the disciples then, as it is for many of us too, it's like, wow, just one chance, isn't that tough? Maybe it's better not to get married. Jesus was saying, well, that can be done. There are people who aren't married because of circumstances. There are people who are not married because of birth. And there are people who choose not to get married. If you can be any of the three, if you are any of these three, then yeah, stay unmarried. But be practical too. Not everyone can withstand that kind of that kind of life so choose wisely and prayerfully and entrust these choices to God and so once again I say to those who are not married and 
you are exploring life, especially when you're young, enjoying relationships, stay, stay with healthy relationships. Get to know each other deeply in an intellectual, emotional way, but do not have sex with each other until you're ready to say that I am going to be committed to you for the rest of my life. Let's pray now. Father, it was your design, your loving, wonderful design, that you made marriage a union of two persons. You made sex a union of two persons. That as we came together, you united us. And Father, you want to continue to keep the unions alive. I pray especially for our young, unmarried brothers and sisters. They may be wise and not and to resist the temptation of having sex before marriage. They may know the reason why. It is not because you're strict or you're fierce, but because of the consequences that their sexual act makes them one. Because they want to be committed fully to the one they are joined with. I pray especially for those whose marriages are, are struggling in their marriages, whether it is conflict, whether it is unfaithfulness and adultery. I pray, Lord, that you will give them hope, that you help them to know that you are God who heals but let that hope be real strength and hope and not the sense of codependence or a fear of falling apart, of divorce. Let it be indeed a belief that you can restore their marriages. And God, you have promised in many places that you will restore. You hear the prayers of your children when we gather together. And together, Lord, we pray for those marriages that are broken marriages that are hurting very badly. We ask, Lord, that you restore and you redeem. But God, I pray too for, we pray too for the many whose marriages have already been broken, the many who have been divorced, and those who are still hurting. Father, it's a painful thing that has happened to them. Often it was not their fault Often it was because one spouse walked out on them. One spouse was, one partner was unfaithful. And many of among us are victims of these. We pray for your healing. Not for more guilt, Lord, but for your hand upon them. That may, they may experience your healing touch upon their lives. And then God, we pray for <clears throat> our families. We pray for our couples, Lord, that you cause us to be faithful. That indeed, Lord, you will lead us away from temptation and deliver us from the evil one. That God, you will always be our guard and our guide to prevent us, to stop us at every turn whenever we are tempted to be unfaithful, when we are tempted in our emotions or in our lusts. 
Yes, Lord, protect us. And for those who, among us, who are unfaithful and are committing adultery, I pray, Lord, for deep conviction in their hearts of the sin and the hurt that they are committing, that they may repent and turn back to their wives that they married. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love for our church and for our community and your longing to heal our hearts, our lives and our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, have a very good day today and meet you again tomorrow. God bless you. Goodbye.